Today's message is on the warning against the hardening of our heart. But before we dive into the message, I'm just wondering how many of you have ever played squash before? It used to be a really popular game in the 70s and the 80s in Singapore, but today unfortunately it's a bit of a dying sport. Well, back when I was in school, uh, I was part of the squash team for my school and it was a team of seven and we all took uh, the game very seriously and we had the chance to actually represent our school to play against other schools in the national squash championships in Singapore. So one key aspect of training or playing squash uh, back in the day was that we generally only train with the players in our own school, which meant that going up to the competition, we had no idea how good our opponents were until we actually played with them. To get around this, we would often talk to friends or allies that we had who had actually played some of our opponents before to try to get a feeling of how good or how dangerous our opponents were. Now, our allies might tell us things like, you know, player A is extremely fit, so you need to be quite careful to try to close out the game within three sets. If not, if it stretches to a fourth and fifth set, you may be at a severe disadvantage. Or they may say that player B, for example, uh, has a very deceptive shot from the front of the court. So then we might adjust our tactics and try to hit the ball more to the back of the court and avoid the front. These warnings were not meant to scare us, but rather to help us to adjust our tactics to focus on the game so that we could win. Adequately pre-warned, we had an advantage going in and stood a higher chance of victory. This month we're kicking off a new series about the book of Hebrews. There are many ways we could structure this series, but the way the church has decided to structure this series is in a series of warnings to focus on the specific warnings that the book of Hebrews has for us. Now I know that having a whole series of messages about warnings may sound quite negative and gloomy, but I just want to remind everyone that these warnings are not meant to stoke fear, but rather the purpose of these warnings is to help us to focus, not to make us fearful. So some of you may find this picture quite familiar. It's actually taken uh, right outside our church. Um, so yes, remember the warnings. As you hear these messages, remember that the warnings are meant to help us to focus on what to pay attention to and not to make us fearful. So last week, Pastor Singley kicked off the series uh, wanting us to pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Because Christ, the messenger, is superior to prophets, he's superior to angels, and his message concerns the salvation of our very souls. Bearing this in mind, this week we will cover the warning given against the hardening of our hearts. Through Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 19, we will cover what does it mean to harden our hearts against God, what are the consequences of a hardened heart and how we can cultivate a believing heart for God. So allow me to read the passage to you, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 19. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me Though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. 
but encourage one another as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold firmly, we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would not enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Before we proceed any further, please join me in a time of prayer. Father God, will you please open our hearts to hear your word, to pay attention to your message for us. But help us to receive it with faith and to not only hear your word, but also be doers of all that you have instructed us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what does it mean to harden our hearts against God? To answer this question, we can go back to the passage that we read earlier and look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. And here we see that the author says to harden your heart as your ancestors did during the time of rebellion and during the time of the testing in the wilderness. So if we can find out what the Israelites did during the time of rebellion and during the time of testing in the wilderness, then we will have a good idea of what it means to harden our hearts. And here we see that the footnotes in our Bible come really handy. At the bottom of this passage is a footnote that links us to Psalm 95. And when we go to Psalm 95, we realize that the author of Hebrews had actually quoted this passage almost word for word from Psalm 95. And when you read Psalm 95, you realize that the word rebellion is translated also to Meribah. And the time of testing in the wilderness, the word Masa is given. So both Masa and Meribah are actually places that the Israelites traveled to on their way to the Promised Land when they were set free from slavery in Egypt. The story of Masa is found in Exodus 17 and the story of Meribah is found in Numbers chapter 20. So let's go into these stories and find out what it was that the Israelites did at both Masa and Meribah and that would give us an indication of what it means to harden our hearts against God. So what happened before Masa? Before we get into the story itself, a bit of context. So the Israelites were a people group who had been oppressed for 400 years and enslaved to the Egyptians. Just prior to what happened at Masa, God had actually set the Israelites free from slavery. He had done so in a miraculous fashion, causing 10 plagues uh, to happen to the Egyptians. Some of the plagues were really incredible, such as the turning of the water into blood. And when the Israelites had fled from Egypt, God had actually parted the Red Sea to let them flee across dry land. And then when the, when the Egyptian army had pursued them, God had brought the waters of the Red Sea down on the Egyptian army, destroying the pursuing Egyptian army. And just prior to Exodus chapter 17, where the incident at Massa was recorded, God had actually fed Israelites, the Israelites with literal bread from heaven called manna. And he had done so, providing abundantly for all they needed day by day. God had also been guiding the Israelites through the desert instructing them where to camp, appearing to them as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. 
So here we are now in Exodus 17. The story is found in verses 1 to 7. And here we see that the Israelites have been instructed by God to camp at a place called Rephidim. And unfortunately, over here, there was no water available on demand for the Israelites to drink. And strangely enough, this turned out to be a breaking point for the Israelites. And despite all that God had done for them before this incident, despite all the miracles and supernatural wonders that they had witnessed, and also despite the fact that they were slaves just not too long ago and obviously accustomed to a certain level of hardship, the Israelites immediately started to question, God, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us, our children and our livestock die of thirst? The Bible also records that the Israelites grumbled and asked, is the Lord really among us or not? So just bear the Israelites' response in mind for now as we go further and see what happened at Meribah. So the incident at Meribah happened 40 years after the incident in Exodus 17. And during these 40 years, God had continued to be faithful to the Israelites. In fact, he not only fed them with manna every day, but he also supernaturally preserved their clothing and their sandals so that they did not wear out even though the Israelites had been trudging through the desert sand for 40 years. Despite that and despite the benefit of experience and hindsight, and the Israelites camped at the desert of Zin, and here again they faced a very similar scenario. Here again there was no water available on demand. But unfortunately, we see from their response that they did not learn their lesson from Massa 40 years ago. So here the Israelites, their response to having no water was, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place and there's no grain or figs or grapevines or pomegranates or water for us to drink? Now this seems like a really unreasonable response, especially considering all that God had done. How could they doubt God to this degree when they were witnesses firsthand to what God had done for them. It seems like the Israelites were willing to ignore God's track record up until five minutes ago and come to a conclusion based on their preconceived bias against God that God was not with them or that God had led them to a terrible place of misfortune. So from these two incidences, we get an idea of what it means to harden our heart against God. It means to lose faith and not give God the benefit of the doubt at the first signs of uncertainty, to ignore God's track record even when God has been gracious and faithful to them throughout. A story was told of a young man named Brad. He was a Christian man and he was hitchhiking across America. And one day as he was hitchhiking, he was picked up by a real estate broker whose name was Liu Masters. So as they were driving along in the car, Brad shared the gospel with Liu. And to his joy, Liu accepted Christ there and then in the car. On alighting at his destination, Brad said goodbye to Liu and Liu handed Brad his business card. He said to, to Brad, if you're ever in the Chicago area again, please give me a call and let's meet up. Five years passed before Brad had the chance to visit the Chicago area again and he remembered about Liu and his business card. So he picked up the phone and he called Liu and that's when to his horror he found out that just a few minutes after he had alighted from Liu's car, 
that Liu had been involved in the tragic car accident and been killed on the spot. Fred was saddened, but he managed to get in touch with Liu's wife uh, to organize a meetup with her. And on meeting Brad and on hearing his story, she was shocked that, he, that Brad was actually in the car with her husband just minutes before he was killed. And she was also overjoyed when Brad shared that Liu had actually accepted Christ just before he died. She shared with Brad that she was actually a Christian for many years and oftentimes had prayed for the salvation of her husband. But when she had found out that day that her husband had been suddenly and tragically killed, she thought that God had failed her, that God had not answered her prayer. And since that incident five years ago when her husband was killed, she had hardened her heart against God and had been out of fellowship with him, refusing to have anything to do with God since that time. But that very day, as Brad shared his story and what happened to Liu, she was filled with joy, her bitterness was healed, and she was restored to fellowship with God. You know, there's a tendency for us to harden our hearts against God when we think that God has failed us, when we don't have all the facts, or we don't seem to like what is ha happening. Whether it's an unanswered prayer, an unhealed sickness, or just the fact that we're going through things that we don't like or we don't understand. It's times like these that God's track record doesn't seem so relevant anymore. And we, start to, and we start to doubt if He is really with us. But the truth is that we are not God. We don't always get to find out what happens in the end. We don't always get to read the final chapter in the story. So at some point, we need to decide for ourselves. Do we harden our hearts against God in the face of uncertainty? Or do we choose to trust Him in faith? Now, most of us do not actively try to harden our hearts against God. It's just something that sort of happens to us. We view the hardening of our hearts as an external event that happens to us rather than a choice that we make. Yet in reality, the hardening of our hearts is a choice that we make. We get to choose how we, we react to situations and how we react towards God when these situations happen to us. And therefore, we need to ensure that we make the right choice towards God. So one more time in flowchart format, what does it mean? to harden our hearts against God. It's to make the choice to set the posture of our hearts against God so that our first in immediate inclination is to doubt God and His goodness towards us and to ignore God's track record and His goodness and faithfulness towards us. And this is the first step towards total unbelief towards God. The hardening of our hearts is the first step towards total unbelief towards God. And this is a very dire consequence of a hardened heart. What are the consequences of a hardened heart? Well, the first and most obvious consequence is that a hardened heart displeases God. Going back to the example of Massa and Meribah earlier, even though the Israelites were so quick to accuse God at the first opportunity, even though they threw God under the bus when there is no water to drink for just a short while, God still supernaturally brought water out from the rock for them to drink, revealing himself, his favour and his presence to them in a very visible and tangible way. Yet we read, despite this miracle and despite the many other supernatural signs that God had done for them, that they continued to test and try God to ignore him and to harden their hearts towards him so that eventually they were very unbelieving towards God. And this really displeased God and we read that he was angry with them. Now, when we repeatedly take God's grace for granted and continue to drift away from God, 
This really displeases God, and as Christians, our goal should be to please God. So that's the first reason why we should not harden our hearts. But the second and probably a worse consequence to many of us is that a hardened heart causes us to miss out on the many good things that God has in store for us. I know someone who, from a very young age, has been cultivating an implicit bias against a certain green and spiky fruit. Um, his family members, his spouse, his friends have all on many occasions tried to uh, convince him to give the fruit a try. They testify to the fruit's deliciousness, uh, to how nice it is. You know, they show him that they are willing to skip meals in order to eat more of this fruit. But despite all the evidence, despite all the witness testimonies, he has never once tried this fruit, not even a single bite. Now just to clarify, this is not me. I don't like durian, but I have actually at least tried it. And I don't need anyone to try to convince me otherwise. But the point is, having a hardened heart against God is similar to cultivating an implicit bias against Him. This implicit bias then leads us to unbelief and, and, and unwillingness to believe, no matter what the facts are, and unwilling, an unwillingness to give God a chance. And as a result of this, we miss out. We miss out on the many good things that God has in store for us. And we see that the older generation of the Israelites, because of their hardening of their hearts, did not enter into the promised land because of their unbelief. And God specifically mentions in verse 10 and 11 of the passage that we read just now, that it was because of their hardened hearts leading to unbelief that resulted, them, that resulted in them not being able to enter God's rest. And instead, they perished in the desert. Now recently, the Gallup extension at the Botanic Gardens was opened up to the public. And inside the Gallup extension, there's actually this playground for kids. Uh, it's called the Como Adventure Growth Playground. My wife and I thought that my oldest son would really enjoy playing here. So we decided to bring him uh, to this playground. But unfortunately, uh, we parked at the wrong place. And so we ended up taking a very long walk and got slightly lost getting to the playground. Now my son had looked forward to this excursion and he had also brought his uh, you know, little kick scooter along, hoping to be able to like, scoot through the park. Um, but unfortunately, again, you know, and take note for those of you who are planning to go to this park, this park does not allow any bikes or scooters within the park itself. So, and it was also, to make matters worse, it was also a really hot day. And I could tell that my son was getting quite upset because from his perspective, it was really hot. He had a scooter taken away from him. He didn't understand you know, why it was that he was not allowed to scoot in the park. He was also made to walk quite close to us and was not allowed to run ahead because it was all of our first time there and, we, and no one was familiar with the way. He kept asking us, why couldn't he ride a scooter? You know, are we there yet? Um, but I'm really glad that he did not throw a tantrum. He did not, he did not refuse to keep walking, but instead he chose to trust that we would bring him to somewhere fun. And our assurances to us that, you know, just wait a while, we'll get there soon and it'll be really fun for you, seemed to be enough for him. And eventually we got there and he had a wonderful time playing in the playground. You know, the Bible tells us that God is good, that he has good plans for us, that his will for us is good, pleasing and perfect. However, the Bible also reminds us that God's ways are not the same as ours. So there may be times where we expect God to do a certain thing, but he does something else instead. So and this is where we need to trust in God, to trust that he is leading us to a good place, 
to trust in his plans for us, especially when we can't understand what he is doing. But when we harden our hearts against God and we don't trust him or his intentions for us, this is when we will miss out his best for us. But the consequences of our hardened heart are not just limited to us missing out on the good things that God has in store for us. Because trust and obedience are linked, a hardened heart will also lead us to sin and rebel against God. We see this principle of how trust and obedience are linked playing out in society right now. We see that in societies where there's a higher level of trust between the people and the government, the people are more willing to go along and comply with some of the COVID measures that have been put in place, whether it's social distancing, you know, circuit breaker, lockdowns, or even the wearing of masks, because the people trust the government and they, that the government knows what they're doing, the people are more compliant to these measures. Yet we also see that the reverse is true. In societies where there's a lower level of trust between the people and the government, the people are less willing to go along with some of these measures. They cite you know, the high cost of these measures against them and they even congregate in large numbers to protest against some of these measures. So trust and obedience are linked. When we trust God, it's easier for us to obey Him, but the converse is also true. When we harden our hearts against God and we don't believe Him, when we don't trust Him, our immediate inclination would actually be to disobey or to sin against Him rather than to obey God. And this is where we fall into, we are, the, there's a great danger that we fall into the vicious cycle of unbelief and disobedience. We've already covered how the hardening of our heart can lead to total unbelief towards God. And we've also gone through the linkage between how obedience and trust are linked. So if we have unbelief in our hearts, we are more inclined to disobey or sin against God. But we also read from the passage just now that there's a linkage between sin and the hardening of our hearts. Sin actually leads to the hardening of our hearts. And this is one important reason why we cannot treat sin lightly or in isolation to our salvation. We may think that since we are saved already, there's no need to deal with the sin in our lives. Why try so hard to live a sanctified life here on earth when we will never reach perfection? Well, here we have the reason. If we leave sin unchecked in our lives, or we continue to willfully engage in sin and disobedient towards God, our hearts will eventually become hardened against Him. And one day this will lead to unbelief against God. So to sum up, the consequences of a hardened heart uh, that a hardened heart displeases God, a hardened heart will also cause us to miss out on the good things that God has in store for us. And a hardened heart will cause us to sin and rebel against God. So bearing this in mind, how then can we cultivate a believing heart for God? The author of Hebrews thankfully gives us the answer in verses 12 and 13. He says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And from this passage, you can draw three lessons to ensure that our hearts are believing towards God. Firstly, we need to be on the lookout for the condition of our hearts. And secondly, we need to encourage one another because we need community. And lastly, we need to encourage one another daily, the frequency of encouraging one another and receiving that encouragement matters a lot. So firstly, we need to be on the lookout for the condition of our hearts. The hardening of our heart is a gradual process. 
and tends to come in unnoticed. Sin is deceitful and will gain entry to our hearts when we are not alert to it. But yet the Bible says that the heart is deceitful. So how then can we know the condition of our hearts? In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12, the author writes that the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It says that the word of God judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. God can speak to us through many ways, but one of the primary ways that God speaks to us is through his word, through verses and passages that we read in the Bible. And going back to the start of the passage, even though that the, we, we know that the author is quoting word, from, word for word from Psalm 95, we see that he starts off the passage by saying, so as the Holy Spirit says. He wants the readers of Hebrews to know that he's not simply quoting a part of the Bible, but rather he wants them to know that God is speaking to them directly from this passage. Because God speaks through his word. I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with Sam Walston, but he is someone who strikes me as being able to consistently hear from God. And I once asked him, how, how, how did he get to this stage? How did he learn to hear from God so well? He told me it's simple. He told me to just regularly read my Bible, and before I read my Bible, to pray to God, to ask God to speak to me. And then, as I read my Bible, to just pay attention and have faith that God would speak. That's it. He said it's as simple as that. He said to just keep doing this and soon I would be hearing from God regularly as well. So I tried to put this into practice and I find that when I read my Bible, God oftentimes speaks to me through a single verse or some of the passages that I read. For example, say I'm reading the entire chapter 3 of Hebrews. You know, most of the verses, I would just take it in as information, as you know, normal words that I'm reading, as if I'm reading an article or a book. But a single verse, like for example, verse 7 may jump out at me and leave a strong impression on me. And as I pause and reflect on this verse, and as I pray and ask God why he's asking me uh, to pay more attention to this verse, God reveals certain other things to me uh, through my thoughts or through my interactions with other people. So I try to be expectant that I will hear from God. And when God does speak, I try to receive the message in faith. Yet certain times, although a certain verse is drawn to my attention, I find myself doubting, is that God really speaking or is this just a coincidence? Or is my mind even playing tricks on me? There are even times where I wish that God hasn't spoken uh, the message that he is saying, especially when the message uh, makes me uncomfortable. For example, there was a season where God kept impressing on me that I needed to be more humble or have more of a servanthood kind of attitude. Verses like Mark chapter 10, verse 43, where it says, Whoever desires to be great among you has to become his servant. Or Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, where it says, Whoever humbles himself will be exalted, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Kept coming up in my time with God. And I was not too pleased with this development. I was not too pleased with this message because, you know, I, was, I thought I was pretty okay. And I started to wonder, was God really speaking to me? Or was it just my mind playing tricks on me? And this was despite the fact that God had consistently been speaking to me through his word uh, for the past few years. And this allowed me to get a glimpse to the condition of my heart. Was there a hardening of my heart? Was this why I was reluctant to embrace the word of God? Was there pride in my life? 
and, and perhaps this was the reason why I was not inclined to embrace the message with faith. It's been my personal experience that regularly reading God's Word combined with prayer and a seeking and listening heart will reveal the condition of our hearts to us. And that's where we have the choice. We can either harden our hearts against God or we can embrace Him and His message with faith. The second way that we cultivate a believing heart towards God is that we need community. We need to encourage one another. We both need to encourage one another and receive encouragement from God to hold on to God, to hold on in faith, especially in times of trouble, or especially in times where we are still waiting for God to answer our prayer or to act. If you recall from last week's message, the letter of Hebrews was written to a group of Christians, Jewish Christians who were facing persecution. They were tempted to give up and go back to the religion of the day that was accepted by everyone else. They had begun to doubt whether holding on to their faith, holding on to Jesus was worth it. Well, actually, it was recorded for us that this was not the first round of persecution that this bunch of Jewish Christians had faced. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, it tells us that these Jewish Christians had already endured one round of persecution before. One round of persecutions, of struggles, of sufferings, and how did they perform through this first round? Well, Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that they endured this first round of reproaches, of tribulations, and even the plundering of their goods with joy. This is Apostle Paul level kind of Christianity. And we will assume that these Jewish Christians had already reached superhero status to be so strong and secure in their faith, to be able to endure this round of persecutions with joy and having emerged victorious. Yet we know that even they, even these heroes who had endured so much and emerged victorious had begun to have second thoughts about their faith. Whether or not continuing their journey of faith was worth it, and this was why they needed the encouragement that the writer of Hebrews gave to them. Even, hero, even heroes need encouragement sometimes. And on this note, I would like to wish all mothers who give so much of themselves, the heroes of our families, a very happy and blessed Mother's Day. We all need encouragement and community, not just for those who are, of us who are new to the faith, but especially for those of us who have been Christians a long time, and especially for those of us while facing a troubled time. The Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation. And God has put us all in the same body. He, you know, Corinthians tells us that we are all placed in the body together. When one part rejoices, all of us rejoice. When one part suffers, all of us suffer. In his wisdom, God has made the body of Christ comprised of many members. And in his wisdom, God has made us reliant on one another. And this is the key reason why we have to belong to a local church and a Christian community as well. A few months ago, I was facing a difficult situation at work. But actually, it was a relatively simple situation. But it was not a particularly big problem. But for some reason, on that day, this small little thing really stressed me out. Now, I tried to take a break from work. I tried to go for a walk. I tried to pray, to read my Bible, but somehow none of these things that usually helped me to focus and de-stress worked that day. Um, and I had a very strong impression from God that God wanted me to share my prayer request, even though it was a very small thing uh, with my cell group, and ask them to pray for me. Now I was quite resistant to this at first, because it was really a small matter, and I was a bit embarrassed to, to share it with the, the people in my cell group, you know, I was not sure what they would think of me you know, sharing this small matter for prayer. 
Uh, but I decided to obey God. And one of the things I really like about my cell group is that the moment you post a prayer request, they will not only pray for you, but they will also reply in the chat to say that they are praying for you and it will give you words of encouragement as well. And I remember distinctly that the moment I posted my prayer request, the moment I obeyed God to ask people to pray for me, that I suddenly felt a wave of peace. And I knew that God was trying to teach me something about how we as Christians need one another and how he has designed the body of Christ to support and, re and receive support from one another. So if you aren't already part of a Christian community, I would encourage you to find one, to be plugged in and be part of one. And take the initiative to contribute and create a culture of mutual support and encouragement uh, among your community. Lastly, to cultivate a believing heart, we need to encourage one another daily. We read from the passage that the author of Hebrews specifically says to the Jewish Christian to encourage one another daily. Now, why daily? Well, from other parts of scripture, we can observe that God also provides what is needed on a daily basis. For example, going back to the example of Meriba and Massa, we, we, we read in just slightly before this incident that God provided the bread from heaven, manna for them on a daily basis. We read elsewhere in scripture that when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he instructed them to ask God for their daily bread on a day-by-day -day basis. And in the church of old, the early church, the members used to gather daily. And I think that one of the key reasons why they chose to gather daily was because they understood that they needed to exhort and encourage one another on a daily basis. And one of the key reasons why you know, the daily basis, this consistency is so important is because it helps us and it ensures that whatever season we are facing, whether things are going well or things are going badly, that we have this community, that we have this encouragement to hold on and to have faith in God. And thank God that in today's world, while we may not be able to physically gather on a daily basis, we have the technology that allows us to give and receive encouragement on a daily basis. So let's not confine our interactions with one another to just a weekly cell group meeting or a weekly uh, visit to church service, but let's encourage, other, encourage each other more frequently uh, and receive encouragement also on a daily basis where possible. So to summarize, the crux of today's message really is do not harden your heart against God. It's a warning against the hardening of our hearts. What does it mean to harden our hearts against God? It means to lose faith and not give God the benefit of the doubt, to ignore his track record of faithfulness towards us at the first sign of trouble or uncertainty. The consequences of a hardened heart are severe. It leads to total unbelief. It really displeases God. It causes us to miss out on the good things that God has in store for us. And it leads us to sin and rebel against God. How can we cultivate a believing heart towards God? Firstly, we need to know the condition of our hearts. And so we need to read God's word regularly. We also need Christian community to be part of a community. And we also need to encourage and receive encouragement daily from one another. I would like to close off by reminding us about the grace and the goodness of God. And this is, in a sense, the why behind we shouldn't harden our hearts. You see, because even with the best intentions, we may sometimes harden our hearts against God, especially when trouble comes. Because we are weak, our hearts often tend to wander away from God. And as you listen to this sermon, 
You may be recounting times when God has reached out to you, where you have seen His goodness and His grace, but yet you have ignored Him and you have hardened your hearts against Him. When I reflect on the incidents at Massa and at Meriba, what stands out to me is really the grace and the goodness of God towards the Israelites. You see, in both incidents, the Israelites were doubting God despite His faithful provision, despite the miracles that they witnessed. At the first sign of trouble or lack, when there was just a small delay between having water and no water, the Israelites threw God under the bus. They immediately accused Him of taking them out of Egypt to a place of misfortune. Yet despite their faithlessness and disobedience, God still supernaturally provided water for them to drink. It reminds me of my own life, where God has been so gracious and kind towards me, despite my faithlessness, despite my doubts, despite my disobedience. It seems that God just keeps pouring out His grace towards me and drawing me towards Himself through His unfailing love and goodness. You know, the Bible says in Romans 2 verse 4 that God's kindness leads us to repentance. And this is certainly the case in my life. When we go through trouble or a period of waiting for God, it is tough. No doubt it is tough. We face temptations to turn away and we are tempted to give up. We are tempted to harden our hearts against God instead of hanging on in faith. But remember that Jesus understands our weaknesses. He was human just as we are. He knows that we are prone to wonder, that we are weak, and our hearts tend to be fickle. You know, the author of Hebrews is so confident that Jesus understands exactly what we go through, that he's so sympathetic and compassionate towards us, that he tells us that we can actually boldly, with confidence, go to God for mercy and grace. He writes in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 to 16, he says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And he urges us to then approach the throne of God with grace and full confidence, with full assurance, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Can I invite you to a short time of reflection? Please close your eyes and bow your heads. Is God calling you to return to Him today? Perhaps you thought that God has let you down and you have hardened your heart against Him for many years. Or perhaps you are on the verge of giving up on God, of hardening your heart against God because you can't understand why God let certain things happen. Brothers and sisters, today if you hear the voice of God, don't harden your hearts towards Him. This is the crux of today's message. It is a warning not to harden your hearts, your hearts your against hearts, Him your hearts when you hear him. His voice, when you recall His grace. Today, if you hear the voice of God, please don't harden your hearts. Go back to Him. Ask for help. Ask Him for help to come back to Him. Know that He is ready, He is faithful, and He is willing to pour forth His streams of mercy and grace to help you, just as He provided water abundantly from the rock for all the Israelites to drink, despite their disobedience and unfaithfulness. God is waiting for you to come back to Him. If God has spoken to you through this message, can I invite you to close your eyes and just pray to Him. Tell Him that you will trust in Him. Ask Him for help to have faith, to hold on to Him, to soften your heart towards Him. And if you need to, 
ask him to forgive you and repent of having your heart hardened against him in the past. 